We open the Holy Scriptures together to the epistle of 1 John. We'll read together a portion of chapter 2. Read verses 1 through 14. 1 through 14 of chapter 2. Let us hear the word of God. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I read unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. We read that far this morning in the Holy Scriptures. On the basis of this passage and the whole Bible, We consider another Lord's Day and its instruction in the Heidelberg Catechism, coming now to Lord's Day 5. Lord's Day 5 begins with question 12. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor? God will have his justice satisfied. And therefore we must make this full satisfaction either by ourselves or by another. Can we ourselves make this satisfaction? By no means. But on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature, able to satisfy for us? None. For first, 
God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. What sort of a mediator and deliverer, then, must we seek for? For one who is very man and perfectly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also very God. Beloved in the Lord, the Catechism has just brought us to the peak of man's misery at the end of the first section in Lord's Day 4, showing us what the just deserts of human sin really are. Man's sin makes him liable to suffer eternal punishment of body and soul. And that's deserved. Because that's how bad sin is. Every transgression of God's law is an offense against the most high majesty of the infinitely good God. And thus it is an infinite offense. And though our human nature chafes a bit to hear it, eternal punishment is the just reward for sin. And as Lord's Day 4 has shown us, no matter how hard man might try, there's no escape. There's no escape from the God who is righteous in his judgment. Lord's Day 4 showed us some of those escape attempts that men make and showed us how the Bible slams all of those doors shut. Now, Lord's Day 5 continues the argument that has started in Lord's Day 4. Lord's Days 4, 5, and 6 follow a very logical train of thought that gets us from the reality of punishment that man deserves to the wonderful reality that the gospel proclaims that there is salvation from that punishment. Lord's Day 4 showed us the reality of punishment and the reality that all the doors man tries to find to escape are closed doors. And now Lord's Day 5 focuses our attention on one all-important question. After all of those doors have been closed, is there any door left? Is there any way for fallen human beings like you and me to escape the punishment that our whole race deserves for its sin against the most holy God? Is there any way to be received again into God's favor? And the answer to that one all-important question is given here in Lord's Day 5. And the answer is yes. There is one way, one only way. And that one only way is the very important biblical and theological term that appears more than once in Lord's Day 5. Satisfaction. That is the one way for sinners to escape punishment and be received again into God's favor. If God's justice is satisfied, if full satisfaction for sin is made, 
And that full satisfaction must be made by one who is legally able to make that satisfaction and capable of making that satisfaction to God. The only way of salvation is the satisfaction of God's justice. And that is the central concept that we look at in the sermon today as the catechism leads us to think upon this fundamental truth of the gospel of salvation. And so our theme this morning is simply the only way. The only way. The only way of escape from the punishment sin deserves. And the only way man or woman can be received back into the favor of the holy God. First point, we look at that only way, what it is. And explain it simply. Satisfaction. Next, we'll look at the fact that this satisfaction is a creaturely impossibility. Meaning, though the Bible reveals one way of salvation, satisfaction of God's justice, no creature can do that of itself or of himself. And then finally, we will conclude where Lord's Day 5 concludes by looking at the only one who can make satisfaction. And that's the doorway into Lord's Day 6, which will explain more fully who he is, who this mediator is, the only one who can. So let's begin this morning with the important concept of satisfaction. The only way to escape punishment, the only way to escape that holy, eternal wrath of the righteous God and be again received into his favor is satisfaction. What is satisfaction? Well, to put it very simply, satisfaction is meeting a requirement. Meeting a requirement or meeting a demand. To help us see the meaning of this term, let's think of a couple of examples from daily life. After you've had a big Sunday dinner, you feel satisfied. And what does that mean? It means you've had enough, you're full, you're content. Before you felt those pangs of hunger and the empty stomach desired food, and you had that nutritious big Sunday dinner, and you recline in your chair around the table, and you're satisfied. The requirements, the needs of your body have been met. And those hunger pangs are satisfied and they go away. Or another example. One that children who are in school can relate to. In school, you get assignments from your teacher. Homework to do. How do you complete your assignments satisfactorily? You you complete your assignment satisfactorily by doing everything that the teacher asked you to do. You complete your assignment satisfactorily by meeting the requirements and meeting the expectations of the teacher. So that when you turn in that assignment, your teacher is satisfied you've done the work that you were asked to do. 
Satisfaction is meeting a requirement. Meeting a demand. Now, satisfaction in the Bible and satisfaction in theology refers to fully meeting the demands of God. But now, specifically, satisfaction refers to meeting the requirements of God's justice. And the requirements of God's justice are revealed in His holy law. Remember, God's law is a revelation, it is a disclosure of His will. How He desires and wants His people to live. His law reveals what is pleasing in His sight. And God's justice demands that man obey His law and perfectly meet, measure up to every precept, every commandment, every requirement of that law. So that man in all of his life is in full harmony, is in alignment with that just law of God. So satisfaction means meeting the demands of God's law. Meeting those demands with a complete heartfelt obedience to each of the commands of God's law. But also this, in the case of disobedience, and that is the case with fallen man, satisfaction requires bearing the penalty that the law prescribes for transgressions of its command. And we all know what the penalty of God's law is, the just sentence that the law pronounces against the transgressor. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Death, and all that is contained in that word death, physical, spiritual, eternal death, is the just sentence of the law upon the sinner. And so, satisfaction of the demands of God's justice means rendering unto God perfect obedience to His law and also bearing the punishment that the law prescribes for disobedience, namely, death. That's satisfaction. Meeting the demands of God's justice. And that then leads to the question, how can satisfaction be made? God will have His justice satisfied, the Catechism teaches. That's the only way to be received into God's favor and to escape the just punishment of sin. To have God's justice satisfied. How can God's justice be satisfied? Scripture reveals that the way God's justice is satisfied is through payment for sin. Atonement being made for sin. Or to use the language of 1 John 2 verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. And that big word propitiation simply refers to a payment that appeases the holy wrath of God so that it turns that wrath away. So that the object of that wrath is now received back into the favor of God. That is how satisfaction can and must take place. There must be an atonement, a payment for sin. There must be propitiation, a payment that appeases the holy wrath of God and turns it 
away. Thus, the main Bible doctrine that comes into the foreground here in Lord's Day 5 is the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. This Lord's Day gives us an opportunity to review that theological term, which is very important, one which, as Reformed Christians, we ought to be acquainted with because it it lies close to the heart of the Gospel and sets before us what Jesus did for us. How is God's justice satisfied? Through penal substitutionary atonement. We've already looked at that word atonement. Atonement is a payment that is made for sin. Penal atonement. Penal comes from the word penalty. Atonement is made by bearing the penalty for sin. Atonement is not made by doing a bunch of nice things for God. Atonement is made by bearing and enduring to the uttermost that penalty which the law of God prescribes for sin. We've seen that's death. And since sin is an infinite offense against the most high majesty of God... Atonement must bear the penalty of eternal death and bear that penalty to the uttermost so that the holy fury of the holy God may be appeased. Sin is a capital crime. And thus, the proper sentence for sin is eternal capital punishment. And to satisfy God's justice, that eternal capital punishment must be borne. That sentence must be served. Just as in our human judicial system, when a sentence is passed upon a convicted murderer and he is sentenced to capital punishment, he must serve that sentence for justice to be satisfied. So it is with fallen man. For God's justice to be satisfied, there must be atonement. And that atonement must be a penal atonement. That is bearing the fullness of the penalty of the law. But now, the Bible reveals that the satisfaction of God's justice takes place through penal substitutionary atonement. And that's where the gospel comes into the picture here. As we'll see at the end of Lord's Day 5, and as we'll look at much more closely in Lord's Day 6, God in His mercy and His grace provides us a substitute. Children, do you know what a substitute is? Another big word. A substitute is simply somebody that stands in your place. Who stands in your place to do something you can't do. Or to take responsibility for something on your behalf. And to meet requirements for you. And that's the wonder of God's saving work. As he provides for us a substitute. That's who our Savior is. He is our substitute who takes upon himself the responsibility for our sins. He takes upon himself our guilt. And he stands in our place before that law of God. And he stands before God and takes upon himself the the righteous judgment of God. The holy fury, that eternal wrath of God that our sins deserve. And he bears it for us in our place. 
And this is just because the substitute that God gives us is legally qualified to be our substitute. Jesus Christ is given to us as our new head. So that just as when Adam, our first head, fell, we became guilty in original sin. Adam's sin was our sin. So too, our new head, the second head, the greater than Adam, Jesus Christ, who is given to us to be our substitute, His righteousness and obedience is justly credited to us. And He is qualified and able to stand before the law of God in our place and take responsibility for our sins and pay the price. Make that atonement. And make that atonement through bearing the full penalty of sin, our sins. And thus delivering us from it. So that's satisfaction. That's the one and only way for sinners to escape punishment and be received into God's favor. It's for satisfaction of God's justice to be made. And that satisfaction of God's justice must be made through Atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. We've used a lot of big theological words this morning. Don't let those big theological words give us a sense of cold, academic, dry theology. That's not what this is. This is warm, living theology of the Bible. This is how we're saved, beloved. This is what Jesus does, has done for His people. This is the demonstration of His love for us. That He makes atonement for you. Think about that for a moment. What that means. We were listening in a spiritual frame of mind to the law of God being read this morning. The law of God pricked us in one way or another, did it not? Perhaps one of the commandments pricked us extra, extra hard because lately we've been struggling to obey that commandment. Or perhaps the summary of the law pricked us. We see where in our lives we have failed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Failed to love our neighbor. We think about what those failures deserve. How offensive they are to God. Death. Death is due to me for those failures, for those sins. But in His love, His unmerited, His free love for me, God gave His own Son, His only begotten Son, who from eternity was in the bosom of the Father, gave that Son to take on Himself my flesh, So that he could be my substitute, my representative to stand before that law that should crush me and execute me. And he took, he took the penalty for my sins in my place to free me so that justice could be satisfied and so that I could be and have been received. Back into God's favor. And there's such beauty in that word. Received in the catechism. Received. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. And how the father 
received the prodigal son back into his favor. That wasn't a a cold reception. That was a loving, joyful embrace. That's what the work of Christ accomplishes for us. That's the fruit of Christ's atonement and the satisfaction of God's justice. Is that we are received into the warm and joyful and blessed embrace of the triune God for eternity. That's what the satisfaction of justice, God's justice, accomplishes. What a wonder it is. And so that's the first point. That's satisfaction. Meeting the demands of God's justice. So that sinners may be received into God's favor. The only, only way of salvation. Seeing now that the only way of salvation is satisfaction, we immediately are led to face another question. Who can do this? Who can do this? We've already gotten into that a little bit, unavoidably so, because how can you talk about penal substitutionary atonement without looking to Christ? You can't save Christ just for the end of the sermon here. We have to go to Him right away and see His beauty. So, we've already gotten into this a little bit. But let's go back to that question. Who can do this? Who's qualified? Who is able? Who has the power? Who can stand before the justice of God? Who can represent us before his law? And who is capable of bearing what the catechism calls the eternal wrath of God against sin? To put the question very simply. Is this satisfaction even possible? What we're going to see here. Is that it's a creaturely impossibility. Left to ourselves, satisfaction could never be made. Question 13. Can we ourselves make this satisfaction? Satisfaction is the only way of salvation. Can we do it? Can we do it ourselves? Is there something we can perform that will satisfy God's justice? And the resounding answer of The question is, by no means, in no way, not at all, it is impossible for fallen sinners like you and me to satisfy the justice of God. Why is it so impossible? Answer 13 states it so very simply, on the contrary, we daily increase. Our debt. Sin is debt. Sin indebts us to God. And we must pay Him back. Sin incurs an infinite debt. As we've said. 
As we've seen in Lord's Day 4, sin is an infinite offense because it is committed against the God who is infinitely good and infinitely worthy of all worship and obedience. And so every single sin is an infinite offense against this God who is so great and who is so worthy. Every sin incurs an infinite debt. And you think about that. What a mass. What a mountain of debt every single human being carries. My sins are more than I can count, we sing in one of our Psalter numbers. And each one of those countless sins, an infinite debt that's staggering. The human mind can't calculate the offense of our sin against God. And there's also this. By the mere fact that God created us, we're his creatures. We owe him perfect obedience already. We owe him a debt of love. So that even if we were to perfectly obey his law, we still wouldn't earn anything from him. Because that is simply our duty as creatures towards our creator. And so when you put those two things together. I owe God everything already. Because in Him I live and move and have my being. He created me. And so the mere fact that I am a creature. Demands that I love Him with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. That's simply my duty. That's what's expected. That is what it is to be a creature. I owe Him that debt already. But then over here. I've failed in that duty. I'm prone by nature now to hate God and my neighbor. I transgress his law daily. And I've accumulated this mountain of incalculable debt. You put those things together and you see very clearly why the catechism doesn't have to give an elaborate explanation of why we can't satisfy God's justice by ourselves. And that there's nothing we can do to make sufficient amends, so to speak, To reconcile us to God. And to make him receive us into his favor again. It's utterly impossible. And so. That one way of escape. It seems like the door is closing. Satisfaction must be made. But I can't make it. By no means as the catechism says. Nothing I do, no means at my disposal, can ever satisfy the justice of God and reconcile me to Him. If left to my own devices, I will perish. So can we look out there somewhere? Can we find Something, somebody in the wide creation of God that can do this for us now. We can't. Can something else? And that's where the catechism goes. It brings us to the next logical question. Question 14. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us? 
And the catechism gives us as resounding an answer here in 14 as it did in 13. None. None. Nothing that is a creature can make satisfaction to the holy and infinitely worthy Creator God. It is simply a creaturely impossibility. No matter what kind of creature you go out there and find and try to present to God as your substitute, as your representative, as the one who's going to stand in your place before the law of God and deliver you from the punishment of sin, not one can do it. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system, the whole Old Testament priestly system emphasized that fact, did it not? You had all of these sacrifices, all of these animals, all of these priests sprinkling blood on the altar, bringing the blood into the most holy place once a year on the great day of atonement and sprinkling it on the mercy seat. And they had to keep doing it over and over and over again because it was just a picture. The blood of bulls and goats and lambs could not take away a single sin. Those human priests, those Old Testament priests were but picture priests performing ceremonies that pointed to one greater than they. Their ministries could not actually atone for sin and satisfy the justice of God. The entire Old Testament scripture has that message. It is a creaturely impossibility to make satisfaction. We need one who can. But the one who can is not a mere creature. No animal can do it. You can't find a person who can do it. You can't go through the whole world and find the most righteous man. Perhaps the greatest Christian. Whoever that might be. And say, this person will stand in my place. And on the basis of his or her righteousness, I can be accepted before God. This person can satisfy justice for me. No. Because we all have fallen short of the glory of God and transgressed His will. And as sinners, we all need a Savior. We all need one who can make satisfaction for us. A sinner can't save other sinners. A sinner cannot stand in the place of other sinners. A sinner cannot make satisfaction for fellow sinners. So, no animal, no human being. What about the excellent creatures? Of God who are his ministers. Those spiritual beings. Whose holiness. Has not been touched or tainted by sin. The angels. Maybe one of the greatest angels. Gabriel. Can we take one of those angels. And have that angel be our representative. And stand before the bar of God's justice. And make atonement for us. And the answer is still no. Because that angel is still a mere creature. And though that angel is unfallen and has no sins of its own, for one thing, it doesn't stand in a legal relationship with us as as human beings. And God's justice demands that man pay for man's sin. The same human nature that sinned must bear the penalty for sin. God will not punish the angelic nature for the sins of man. And so God's justice would prohibit Such a creature serving as our substitute. But not only that, 
such a creature is unqualified and incapable of making atonement for us by the mere fact that the angel is a creature. The catechism emphasizes that in the way it uses the word mere more than once. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature? That is, one who is only creature. One who is a created being of God. Can any mere creature satisfy for us? And the second part of the answer says, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. A mere creature would be utterly consumed. Every creature is finite. Every creature had a beginning. Every creature is limited. Every creature is not God. No creature, no mere creature, can take that infinite burden of the wrath of the Holy One and bear it to the uttermost so as to deliver others from it. Any mere creature that would attempt to take that load upon itself be utterly consumed. Utterly consumed. And so, answers 13 and 14 Show us the only way of salvation, satisfaction of God's justice, is a creaturely impossibility. No mere creature, whether man, beast, or angel, can satisfy the demands of God's justice, make atonement for sin. So where does that leave us? Does it leave us hopeless? No. The gospel comes. The good news. The good news that God gave to his fallen children right after they fell in the garden of Eden. The good news contained in that mother promise. God would send one who can. God would provide one who can. God would provide one who is able, who is capable, who is qualified to stand in our place as our representative and substitute. One who is qualified and able to make satisfaction for us. One who will offer a sacrifice that makes perfect atonement. One who would be, as 1 John 2 says so beautifully, the propitiation for our sins. The only one. The only one who can. And the only one who will bring his people down that only way. Back into God's favor. That's question and answer 15. What sort of mediator and deliverer must we seek for? Where must we turn our eyes? And now answer 15 sets up Lord's Day 6. 
So we're not going to dig too deeply into these concepts because the next Lord's Day focuses on them. But here, answer 15 wants to set before us the necessary qualifications of the only one who can. The only one who can must be three things. He must be very man. Children, that word very in the catechism means fully, completely. The only one who can make satisfaction for our sins must be fully man. Number two, he must be a perfectly righteous man. He can't be a sinner like the rest of us. Because if he was a sinner like the rest of us, he'd need a savior like the rest of us. Fully man, perfectly righteous, and yet he must also be this. He must be more powerful than any creature. What does that mean? There are only two kinds of beings, if we can put it that way. There is creature and there is creator. There is creature and there is God. Everything that exists belongs to this category, creature That which is made by the creator. That means then. That the one who is to make satisfaction. The only one who can. He must have power beyond that of any creature. That means he must have divine power. He must be almighty. And there is only one. Who has such power. And that is God himself. The creator himself. The infinitely worthy and glorious God. That's the kind of mediator, deliverer, substitute we must look for. That's the only one who can. One who shares our human nature. So that he is truly one of us. As much a human being as we are. Fully man. And yet, he must be more than man. He must be God himself. Because the only one who can bear that eternal, infinite wrath of the Holy One against sin is one who is himself infinite and eternal and all-powerful. And there is none other but God. He must be fully man. He must be perfectly righteous and obedient. And he must be fully God. Again, you might say this is impossible. This is impossible. Where can such a Savior be found? And that's the great message of the Gospel. God, in His infinite wisdom, the vastness of His knowledge, the glory of His grace, the infinity of His love, Which escapes our ability to wrap our minds around God. Devised a way. This one way of satisfaction. That he would send the only one who can. God the Son. In our flesh. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Who would be. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Who would be 
the perfectly obedient one who would meet every demand of the law of God. Satisfy that law fully. And who would also be able as our substitute to stand before that law and take upon himself that burden of our sin and guilt. And carry that burden and pay for it. Until it is borne away and taken away from us. That's Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Mediator, our Deliverer. The only one who can. Does that give you peace, beloved? Let that be the end and the fruit of the sermon this morning. Peace. Peace. The gospel speaks peace to you. We see our sins. But the gospel says this. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. The righteous. He is your Righteousness. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And the sins of all his people throughout the world. That eternal wrath of the Holy One against sin. You will never bear it. You will never suffer it. Because the only one who can took it for you. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this instruction and this review of one of these central truths of the Gospel. That satisfaction of Thy justice has been made through the atonement of Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank Thee for Him. We rejoice in Him. And as we have sat under this word for a short while this morning, grant that the effect of this word upon our hearts may be peace. That we may indeed behold that one and only mediator and deliverer, the only one who can, and see that He is the one who has delivered us. And that the only way of escape, and the only way of reception back into thy favor, is a way that is open, and a way that thou hast brought us down. And that even now, we experience that loving embrace of thee, our Heavenly Father. We thank thee for our Savior. Grant us his peace this morning. We ask it in his name. Amen.